Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa of the Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment that we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This week, as we are starting to gear up for spring, I know this past week here where I live was absolutely beautiful. In mid-February, it was in the 50s, and I was so happy. And then, of course, it took a little bit of a dip and snowed again, but that always happens. But it gave me a little taste of what's to come, and I got super excited for spring. So this week, as we're gearing up for spring, I want to perhaps inspire you to have some new additions or at least reasons to include more edible flowers in your garden as you start to think about what you're going to do with your spring plants. Right now, like I said, I'm busy planning my spring garden. I'm trying to figure out what perennials I can fit into my beds. I've I mean, I got to squash them in there. Each year I add something new for wildlife value or for whatever reason, and I'm running out of space, but I know I can fit something else in, and I'll need to know what to buy. I can try to think about how I can add new sustainable or wildlife-friendly features to the area. In previous years, I've done toad houses, insect hotels bird houses, bird boxes, things like that, rain barrels. And I can also think about what little annuals I want for my porch pots because I've got this little stoop area with some pots and they don't take perennial plants very well that would want to be buried in the ground. So some annuals, some nice, bright, cheerful colors can do really well there. I also think about why I'm planting. What is the purpose? What vegetables do I want to eat? What flowers do I want for beauty or to enhance the lives of pollinators? What dye plants? Because let me tell you, there are some beautiful pigments that can be produced by plants that look amazing on a t-shirt. I also think about tea plants or creating syrups. And... I gotta think about that both for my little tiny garden bed here at my apartment, but also what I'm going to want in my community garden plot, which that gets full sun, so I have really great vegetables there. Right now, I'm going through my herbalism certification, and as I'm doing that, I'm learning more and more about the importance of natural wild foods in our diets, and I'm so excited to add even more goodies to my garden. I've always been really big into foraging, ever since I was a kid, and now I'm excited not just to forage because it's super fun, but because I want to make healthy choices for myself and for my family. While I always enjoy a good strawberry or pepper from the grocery store, there's nothing quite like a garden-grown veggie or wild fruit. We may often note a change in flavor, brightness, or how we feel after eating garden or wild plants, and there's a reason as to why that is. 
farmed and highly cultivated plants. Well, super important to our survival as a species. I mean, there's so many people on this planet to feed. It's so important to have farmers creating food for us. But these plants don't really have to work a day in their lives. It's like they're couch potatoes. They're pampered and their safety is secured unless something really catastrophically bad happens. And in that case, you know, there's other things for us to worry about. Wild plants and ecologically gardened plants have to fight and work so hard each and every day to make sure that they survive long enough to produce seeds. They have to make sure they don't get munched down too quickly by little rabbits and groundhogs. They need to make sure that those caterpillars don't eat away at the leaves too fast. They need to make sure that they build up their immune systems against fungus, viruses, and bacterial infections. They also, just like humans, need to make sure that they don't get sunburned when exposed to those bright, bright, harsh rays of sun during a hot July day. They can get sunburned too. And as plants build up these tolerances and create chemicals, otherwise called primary and secondary metabolites, as they build those in their own bodies that ward off herbivory or build immune systems, the plant itself gets really strong. When we eat a plant that is so strong and prepared for whatever the environment throws at it, we're also ingesting those immune-building, highly nutritious, and purposeful plant constituents. Not all garden veggies, fruits, and edible flowers provide that level of nutrition, though. When we garden with the ecosystem in mind, we can help to cultivate the plants while also encouraging them to build up those natural nutrients. We don't want to, you know, cross that line with our garden plants of being so pampered and cared for that it doesn't have to work. Allowing pests or what we might consider as pests to come and munch on the leaves to, you know, eat at the roots and nibble away can actually make our plants stronger. When we encourage butterflies to visit, they're going to lay their eggs if we have their host plants. And eventually, those eggs will hatch into future caterpillars. And those caterpillars are going to go mum, 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 num, 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 num on the leaves. And our plants are going to have to work to build up strength against those caterpillars chewing. They're going to have to work to make sure that the caterpillars don't chew the plant down so fast that there's no leaves left to help the plant photosynthesize and survive. When we add compost and really focus on building soil health and diversity, we're allowing plants to get the energy and the nutrients they need to get as strong as possible as quickly as possible. Really, in the natural world and in a garden, because we're putting this in the natural world, everything is connected. And when we garden with that in mind, we're ensuring not only the health of the ecosystems, but also the health of us as well as we harvest and ingest those yummy fruits and veggies. So now let's examine what we can add to our gardens this year that's edible. 
Now keep in mind that various parts of the plant can be edible. Add some roots, leaves, stems, flowers, seeds to your garden that you'll be able to enjoy. I mean, think about it. We have our root vegetables like our carrots, our leafy greens like kale or lettuce, our stem plants like celery, flowers. We've got um, nasturtiums that are absolutely delicious. I make salsa out of them. And of course, seeds like a pumpkin seed that we can roast in the fall. We can all get those at grocery stores, but there's so many good things like those nasturtiums that I mentioned that we can put directly into our gardens. Now also remember that planting flowers amongst your typical vegetable plants like your cucumber and your peppers and your tomatoes can really help attract vital pollinators to allow the vegetables to produce the best crops possible. I mean, if you've ever had an unpollinated, like just a low quality cucumber before, it is not good at all. But when good pollination happens, you get those nice, rich, crunchy, delicious tasting vegetables. Many flowers also act as natural pest deterrents. So getting rid of those pests that are going to destroy or cause really some harmful damage to your plants and keep those good beneficial insects around. So let's explore what we can add this year. A great one to add are roses. One rule of thumb is if it smells good, it tastes good. That's not true all the time, but for the most part, that is true. The plants are trying to attract animals that are going to eat it and help spread the seeds. Roses can smell good, and the petals are great in all sorts of all sorts of culinary ways. You can lightly sugarcoat them. You can muddle the petals into drinks. If you like mojitos, those are really good to add in addition to mint leaves. And you can also add them into your salads for a pop of color and the nutrition. They have been known to reduce anxiety and the hips when, when the flower goes to seed and produces those red bulbous structures. Those are called the hips and they're great dried in tea or used to create a syrup which helps to build our immune systems. Another one you can plant is daylilies. But keep in mind about what sort of lilies you're planting and where you're planting them. Some types have been known to be invasive, and we don't really want to be planting invasive plants. But some types are really great for the garden, and the buds of these lilies can be roasted like potatoes. You can chop them up and use them in any way that you would use a potato. You can boil them, roast them. Once they've been boiled, you can match them. And they create this starchy, potato-like texture. The shoots can also be eaten like an asparagus would. And the petals are also edible and, again, make beautiful, colorful additions to salads. The whole flower can be sugared and used to decorate desserts. Let me tell you, a daylily bloom on a cake can really make that cake absolutely gorgeous. The flower petals can act as a detox to the body, can reduce jaundice, 
and even act as a calming agent to prevent insomnia. Sunflowers have amazing, oh, just everything about them is wonderful. They're great for pollinators, great for wildlife value, and amazing for us. They have yummy, delicious, protein-filled seeds, although you might need to compete with birds, so make sure if you plant sunflowers, you plant one for the birds and one for you. The wild or garden variety may have smaller seeds than you might buy at the grocery store, but they are all full of vitamin B, phosphorus, and many other really important minerals to our bodies. New England asters are also really great, and they're something that's going to bloom a little later in the season, which provides this nice, wild edible in your diet for as long into the year as possible. Both the root and the flowers of these asters are edible. The flowers can act as an expectorant, which is going to help you cough and get rid of excess mucus, and it can be an antihistamine as well which will help you relieve coughing if you have bronchitis or any lung buildup goop that you have, which a lot of times in the winter, we get colds and we start coughing, and these can help to relieve that. They also act as a nervine, which calms tension in the nervous system, as well as relieves muscle tension as an antispasmodic. Hibiscus flowers can be eaten raw, but my favorite way to use it is to dry it and steep it for tea. If drank, it can have a slightly sour flavor, but with a little sugar, maybe sweeter and is great as iced tea. Hibiscus is a cooling plant, so in that hot, hot summer when they're blooming, they can help to relieve some of the pressure and stress put on our body by that excess heat. It also is something called a mucilaginous plant, meaning that it's a little slimy, but can help protect our mucous membranes in the body. It relieves cholesterol, like really high cholesterol. It will help to bring down and reduce blood pressure as well. Red clover is another one of those absolutely amazing plants. You can pick the flower and pull out the petal structures from the base, and they are filled with sweet nectar to attract pollinators like bumblebees, but you can suck that out too from the little tubes. You can top those petals into solids, decorate desserts. I like to sprinkle those petals on the top of cupcakes. And it's very sweet for you and sweet for your blood. It can purify the blood of toxins as an alternative plant, can reduce cancer-causing agents, and boost the immune system as it aids in the flow of the lymph. There are also tons and tons of vitamins and minerals that are found in red clovers as well. Bee balm is another really great plant to have around. The leaves of this hummingbird attracting plant are edible and can be used as salad greens. The petals as well are really great and can relieve indigestion and abdominal and menstrual cramps, which is such a great thing to know. 
You can turn them into syrups or teas, and if you've been out partying, the next morning have that tea and it can relieve the symptoms of hangovers. Cone flowers are another really beautiful flower to have around in the summer. We often hear about the health benefits of the plant echinacea. Now, cone flowers, these pink petals, or sometimes they're reddish petaled flowers with that large, dark red or orangey cone like center, are echinaceas. The roots, the leaves, the flowers, they're all edible and make wonderfully healthy tea when dried. This is a superfood as it does everything from acting as an antiseptic for wounds to fighting the flu and other illnesses. So you can use it to create that tea, something that you ingest, as well as use it to create balms, salves, chapstick, and put it directly on the skin. They're wonderful for wildlife value as well, since those cone-bearing parts have seeds, and they're amazing for birds to be able to forage from, from when they're finished blooming in late summer through the early winter, as long as those seeds stick around. Then we've got some of the more culinary herbs or flowers that you would plant. Think about anything in the mint family. We already mentioned the bee balm, which is technically in the mint family, but think about lemon balm, lavender, rosemary, thyme. All of these are really great to have. But I mean peppermint, just mint, any mints. They all have some benefits as aromatic plants, which can stimulate digestion, relieve nervous tension. I mean, think, any time we're smelling them, it smells good, it tastes good. We're smelling those volatile oils that go into our nose and stimulate the olfactory gland, which can help to do all of those things that I mentioned. But lemon balm, I think, is particularly great. That bright green foliage of the plant is going to be a nice addition to the garden. They're low growing, so you can think about that in your garden plan of what might look good next to what. And as you're gardening and you're rubbing up against the leaves, digging around it, oh, that bright, happy, lemony smell is wonderful. The lemon balm can relieve tension like any other nervine plant does, relieves muscle tension as an antispasmodic, and acts as an antiviral immune boost. Personally, I like to put them in a pitcher of water, put the leaves in a pitcher of water, covered, and I leave it out in the sun for three or more hours, and create a sun tea or a lemonade a great way to get nutrients into the body as well as cool the body off. They can also be used topically when infused into oils to create salves and lotions to rub on sore muscles or achy muscles, cramping muscles to act as that antispasmodic. Overall, the options are endless, but you need to find out what might work best in your area. You can search with your local extension office, here where I am, it's Penn State Extension, for good native garden options 
and do some research into what plants will be great for wildlife and for you. Because ultimately, we want plants and animals to work together so that our plants will be higher in nutritional quality. Also, don't forget that harvesting properly and learning about proper storage methods can be really important too. I'll just give one example, and I'm not saying this example to scare you away from planting or harvesting this flower, but just as to impress upon you the importance of proper storage and harvesting. Red clover, when it is dried improperly, it has all of those little tiny florets. And when moisture gets stuck down in there, it can grow small bits of mold. The specific type of mold that grows on the red clover can act as such a strong blood thinner that hemorrhaging can occur. Again, I'm not trying to scare you off of using red clover. It's a super, super highly nutritious plant. Tastes delicious. It's so sweet and so easy to grow. Great for wildlife. But just make sure that you do a bit of digging in field guides or herbal or wild edible field guides to find out the best way to prepare, to dry, and to store whatever you harvest. You can leave those red clover bits out to dry on a flat surface. Don't make multiple layers of the red clover. Don't allow them to touch. And put them on paper towels or on a mesh screen to allow for maximum airflow to prevent that mold from growing. And you'll be good to go. For what it's earth, each person who can include more delicious, nutritious plants in their garden, the healthier and more connected to the natural world will be. We'll be supporting wildlife ecosystems, pollinator ecosystems, soil health. What a great way to be a part of this world. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along to explore more of the wonderful ecosystems that we're a part of. For What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, you can check out my blog at www.theartofecology.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I will see you next time on For What It's Earth.